Good morning, Central Church. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, it's important for the people of God to gather and worship and study God's Word together. This morning, we're going to be touching on some issues like anxiety, fear, and worry. And before we dive into the message, I wanted, you, I wanted to start off by saying that anxiety disorders and depression are real, and they're very serious. They may be caused by trauma, even several small traumas, specific situations, chemical imbalances, other illnesses and medications, or even our own genetics. If you went to the doctor and the doctor told you you had diabetes, you wouldn't feel shame for taking insulin. And in the same way, if you need medication for an anxiety disorder or depression, please listen to your doctors and get all the help that you can get. Today's message is for everyone. But hear me when I say that the type of anxiety or worry that Matthew 6 is talking about is not a clinical diagnosis, but a state of mind and heart that are not fully focused on God. I believe God can heal anything. I also believe that he uses doctors, psychologists, and medication for our benefit. Will you pray with me? God, as we uh, enter into your word today, as we begin uh, to continue to uh, examine what you have for us out of the Sermon on the Mount, God, I just pray that you'll open our eyes and our ears, God, that we will feel the movement of your spirit in this place and reveal yourself to us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. So, imagine that you are just feeling kind of this existential dread, like it's creeping up on you, this sense of worry and anxiety, and it's a tightness in your back and across your chest. Imagine as you think about the week ahead that your day seems so full and there's so many things piling up and you're not sure how you're going to get it all done. You're not sure how you're going to choose one thing over the other. Imagine that the bills are piling up and you're not sure you're going to make ends meet. For many of us, it doesn't take much imagining to think about one of those scenarios happening in our own lives. When we feel like that, when we're facing anxiety and difficult decisions and choices about our finances and how we spend our days, what do we do? Where do we go? Some of us have great family and friends that we can turn to, and that's a blessing. You have this church family, and maybe even within this larger church family, you have a small group that you look to in times like this. And, of course, there's God. We can go to God with these problems, and we can go to his word and say, God, what do you have to say to me today? But the issue is, this is a really big book. Like, it's got a lot of pages, and if I just open it up somewhere and I start reading about when David killed a bunch of Philistines in 2 Samuel, I'm not real sure how that helps me with my anxiety problems. And maybe I don't know where to look in the larger text for any specific issue. And so I do what most of us do today, and I, I go on Google and I type in Bible verses about anxiety, and up pops today's passage. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And I click on it, and it looks like something like this. 
Oh my gosh, that's like a bajillion words. It doesn't even fit on the screen. God, what, do you, what am I supposed to take away from that? That gives me anxiety on top of my anxiety, and now I'm even worse off than before I even tried. Sometimes the Word of God can be big and scary when God wants it to be meaningful and moving, when God wants it to impact us in really practical ways. And so before we begin to dissect this text today, I wanted to real briefly just talk to you about what I would do if I Googled and I pulled up a passage like that and it felt a little overwhelming. The first thing I would do is I'd read it. I know, it's rocket science. I'd read it once and then I'd read it again. And then I'd pick a different translation and I'd read that one. And then I'd pick another translation, I'd read that one and so on and so forth. And so today we're going to be looking, my Bible's ESV, and so we're going to be using the ESV translation, and then probably you should read the NLT and the NIV and the NASB, and there's just a lot of letters, like just pick any bunch of letters and read that one. And so you read it several different times in several different ways, and maybe some things start to stick out to you. And then after I read it, I like to write it down. Because there seems, writing seems to unlock something different than reading. So I read, and then I write, and God begins to pull some words and things out for me. And then, after I've done that, I say, okay, God, now let's really dig in, and I begin to dissect it. And so in your bulletins today, I've got some questions that I might ask if I was going to dissect this passage, and you can do this along with me today, because we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, today and the next two Sundays. So for three full weeks, we're going to be digging into what God might just say in this passage. And so some of the questions I'd ask of this passage are, what are the verbs in this passage, and what are they telling us to do? So it's like you're in English class again. So this is good. This is good for all of us. What words or phrases stand out are confusing or are challenging? Which verses contain the main points that Jesus is trying to express? If you had to summarize the passage for a friend, how would you do it? And what's an action step that you think God might have for you today? So as I read the passage today, as we study it over the next few weeks, I want you to be answering those questions for yourself and see what God might bring to the forefront. We're in a series right now called Extraordinary, and it's a march through the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And one of the things that I really appreciate is as we've gone through this series to see what it looks like to be an extraordinary disciple or an extraordinary follower of Jesus is it's not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder. That's not what Jesus is calling us here. We enter into the extraordinary life when we begin to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. When we lean on our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, it's then that we're able to really live out this life that Jesus is calling us to. So let's look now and see what Jesus might have for us today in verses 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great 
is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put into it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's a lot. As I read over and over again and just kind of let this passage wash over me this week, there were really three verses that began to stand out to me. And though this passage is about a lot of things, within these three verses, I saw a common thread. And so the first verse that stood out to me was Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, which says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And within that verse, there were two words that kind of jumped off the page for me. It was treasure and heart. In the verses just preceding this, Jesus spends a good amount of time talking about two kinds of treasure. There's treasure on earth, and there's treasure in heaven. And I think it's pretty easy for us to talk about what is treasure on earth, right? We all know it when we see it. Treasure on earth is is a big paycheck. It's a bank account full of money. It's a nice house. It's good clothing. Maybe it's lots of friends and family who care about you. Maybe it's a certain type of car or a certain job title or power status. We all know what kind of things feel like treasure here on earth. But Jesus tells us those things are fleeting. They don't last. You never know when just like that they might be gone. When rust will destroy and moths eat and thieves break in and steal. I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I was scrolling through Facebook because that's a good use of my time at 2.30 in the morning when I'm preaching the next morning. And I noticed that one block from my house, one block from my house down in Harrisburg, one of my neighbor's homes had completely burned to the ground at 2 a.m. this morning. devastating, sad. Luckily, they were not home, and so they were not injured, but that's a lot of earthly things gone in an instant. Family photos, your favorite outfit, that table that your grandma gave you, gone just like that. We never know 
what might happen from day to day. And if our treasure, if our greatest hope in life is the things of this earth, we're going to end up devastated. So there's things on earth, and then there's things in heaven. And it's like, well, what is heavenly treasure? I have a tough time with that because I Googled it, and I couldn't find the first bank of God. I don't know where to go to to open up an account and make some deposits. And I'm not even sure what kind of currency they would take if they did exist. And so you have to get a little creative when you think about treasures in heaven. What might be treasures in heaven? Well, the first thing I think about is the day I opened a bank account in heaven. And that was the day when I was a teenager when I came down front one day at the end of a church service and I said, I said, Jesus, I need you in my life. I've made a mess of my life. I am full of sin. I need forgiveness for all the things I've done. God, will you be the boss of my life? And on that day, I feel like I opened up a bank account in heaven. And since then, I've had plenty of opportunities to make deposits. And I think those deposits look like living in the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me. I think it looks like leaning into the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Each and every moment when I live into the power and the gifting of the Holy Spirit, it's like I'm making deposits in heaven. And some days I make a lot more withdrawals, I think, than I make deposits, but I continue to persevere. I think we lay up treasure in heaven when we give a drink to the thirsty or food to the hungry when we clothe the naked. Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. And I think one of the greatest treasures we can lay up in heaven is to share Christ with somebody in our relational world, to lead our children to Christ or one of our friends or family members so that we get to spend eternity with them. Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven and not here on earth. And then the second word in that passage that stood out to me was heart. That word heart means two things. It means passion and thoughts. What are your passionate thoughts? Because that's where your heart is. That's where your treasure is. And so I have a really good exercise for you so you can figure out, are you laying up more treasures on earth or in heaven? When you're laying in bed at night trying to go to sleep, what's running through your head? Are you thinking about the hundred little things that happened the day before and the million little things that you have to do the next day? Are you thinking about the perfect thing to say to get back at that person that embarrassed you? Are you thinking about that boy or girl that you have a crush on? Are you thinking about the bills that are piling up or that new outfit that you really want? Are you planning out each and every moment of your week so that it goes exactly the way you want it to? Is that what goes through your head at night? Or are you singing praises to God? Are you thanking Him for all the ways that He's been faithful to you in the days previous? Are you scheming with God about ways that you can serve and love people really well on Monday morning at the office or at school? Are you laying up treasures on earth or in heaven? Where's your passion? Where's your thoughts? I find when my thoughts are running away with me and when they're too focused on the things of this earth, there's only one thing that can align my mind the way it needs to go. There's only one thing that can shift it from earth to heaven, and that's worship. Because it's really hard 
when you're doing this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God, be magnified in me. It's really hard when I'm singing those praises to God, either privately in my own house or here corporately with you, it's hard to focus on the things of earth when I'm worshiping a God in heaven. Where are you laying up your treasures? The next verse that stood out to me was verse number 24. Verse number 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This one's really easy for us to imagine why you can't serve two masters. Imagine at your work if you were really super blessed and you had two immediate supervisors. Wouldn't that be awesome? And if those supervisors each had a different idea for what your job was. And so supervisor A says, I need you doing thing A. And supervisor B says, I need you doing thing B. And so when you're doing thing A, you're angering supervisor B. And when you go over here then and try to do thing B, supervisor A is writing up a report about how you're not good at your job. And you're torn and no one likes you and everything is awful and you want to pull your hair out and quit. That would be awful, right? You cannot serve two masters. You can't make everybody happy. We can't live divided. One of the things I told you to do as you look at a passage of Scripture like this is to find the things that are kind of odd. Find the things that maybe don't seem like they flow just right because, you know, I'm a, I'm a preacher, so I think about, like, the flow of a sermon, and Jesus here is preaching a sermon and he, he has these verses, and in a lot of ways I see how point A goes to point B to point C. But when I get to verses 22 and 23, they don't seem to then lead to verse 24. And so I'm like, Jesus, what's going on here? So when that thing happens, I stop, I pause, I pull out commentaries, I go to the internet, I ask people. And so, yeah, for me, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And I want to say, Jesus, what does that have to do with serving two masters? Well, the thing is, Jesus didn't speak English. He spoke Greek and Aramaic. And when you look at the original language for this little sentence here, it's actually an idiom that doesn't translate into English. What he's saying is, so if your eye is healthy, that word healthy actually means single and focused. If your eye is singular, if it's looking at one thing, if it's focused, you'll be full of light. But if your eye is bad, and what that means there is if you're seeing double, if you have double vision, you'll be full of darkness. You'll fall. You'll fail. Jesus here is calling us to singular vision, to look to God and to God alone. You can never have God and anything else. All the way back to the beginning in Exodus chapter 20, when God is first giving the law to Moses, the Ten Commandments, there on Mount Sinai, he says, you shall serve no other gods before me, and you shall not make idols. Our God is a jealous God. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and he will not put up with God and anything else. You can't do it and succeed. If you see double you'll fail. And we have to trust Jesus on this because Jesus knows maybe a little bit more about how to live the best possible human life because he created this life. And so when he tells us you can't do two things, we have to trust him. I'm, God, I'm really good at multitasking. No. Singular vision, singular focus, treasures in heaven, not on earth. 
look to me and to me alone. It can't be God and money. It can't be God and work, God and your addiction, God and your security, God. It can't even be God and good things. It can't be God and your family. You can't serve them both. If you hold on too tightly to your family apart from your relationship with God, you will destroy your family. You look to God and God alone and you say, God, I know you are good, I know you are powerful, and when I focus on you, I know everything else is gonna line up the way that it should. Uh, my team uh, developed a, this resource to, to kind of help with this idea of a singular focus because I think we can get spread way too thin this is an Oikos Prayer and Strategy Guide. It's out on the mission statement wall out there. And when you open it up, it's got this right here for you to write. What are your relational ties and connections? Who are the people you spend your time with? And then here's a map of Sioux Falls. And so it's kind of got some questions here. And you say, okay, so these are the people I'm relation, in relationship with. These are the places that I physically go. This is where I live. This is where I work. This is where I spend my time. And then this right here is just like a really simple weekly calendar. And where do I spend my week? Where do I spend my days? Where do I spend my relational capital? Where do I go physically during the week? And how do I spend my time? What are my priorities? And the exercise is to go through those things and to be really honest with yourself and say, do the, do the places that I go, the people I spend time with, the way I order my week, does it line up with God? Is it focused on God and his mission, bringing about his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? Or do I have some other priorities in my life? You can't have double vision. And then we get to the last verse, all the way at the end. This is the last one that really stuck out to me. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. This one is the one that just hits me, like right here in the gut. This one gets me. Um, I found this week a picture of the inside of my brain. It looks like this. Things I worry about, things that could actually possibly maybe happen, things that do happen. I can't tell you the number of times that I've worried about a zombie attack, okay? I, I, I got a go bag. I understand, like, what sharp, blunt, like, what instrument I'm going to use to chop off zombie heads. Like, like I, I've got it. Like, it, if we ever have an apocalypse, just come to me, okay? Like, but that's never going to happen, right? I also have thought about ninja attacks and, uh, you know, like, rabid wolves. I don't know. Like, my brain just thinks about things, and none of them will ever happen. It's ridiculous. I can't watch scary movies because they get inside my head, and I can't stop thinking about it. We worry about stuff that's never going to occur, and even the things that might occur, they never really ever do, right? Sometimes I'll sit alone at night, and I'll think about, like, the perfect conversation that I'm going to have with an individual so that I can prove my point and they will say, yes, Nathan, you were right all along. I'm sorry that I disagreed with you. And I plan out the conversation in my head and then I go to work the next day and the person's at home sick and I never get to have it, right? Like, we don't know the future. We can't plan these things. Anxiety doesn't add a minute to your life. It takes away hours and days and even years. And yet for so many of us, we don't just live in the moment, we worry about the future constantly. And anxiety has its claws in us. And when it has its claws in us, it's hard to let it 
go. It's hard to get away from it. And so I prayed a lot and I talked to God a lot this week about like what were some things, really practical things that I could share with you about not being anxious about tomorrow, but just living in today, about letting go of all that worry that just builds up and it's a physical thing in your chest. How do we let that melt away? How do we get the claws out of us? And I found this study from September of 2020. And I really wish the scientific study had been trumpeted a little more in the news because if we think back to September of 2020, we probably all could have used some help with anxiety in the midst of all that was going on. What this study was, it was a study on how to cultivate awe and the power of awe. And what it said is, if you will go outside in nature for 15 minutes a day, you will find yourself less anxious and more in awe. If you'll watch the sunrise, if you'll watch the sunset, if you'll look, sit in the park, and look at the wind blow through the trees, if you'll drive many, many states over and see some mountains for 15 minutes a day, cultivating a sense of awe, and if you'll do it six days in a row, you'll find that you worry less. It's a measurable scientific thing. You will worry less, and you'll be more at peace. Now, what's funny is what science found out in September of 2020 is something that we've known because of the Bible for a very, very long time. In the beginning, God created, and day after day after day, all that he created was good and very good and lovely and beautiful. And the psalmist tells us all these many ways that God shows his love and his care for us in what he has created. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that when you see the majesty and the beauty of creation, you can't help but know that we have a mighty and powerful God. So one way to drop anxiety is to go out in nature and thank God for the goodness of creation because it didn't have to be this good. It didn't have to be this good. And the other thing that we can do to worry less about tomorrow and to stay focused on today is to see what God's word has to say on this subject. And not all the passages are as long, thank goodness, as Matthew chapter 6, so I want us to look at a few right now. This one in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you find those anxious thoughts creeping up, when you're laying in bed at night and you feel like you're going to have a panic attack, what Paul tells us to do is he says, start listing things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my dog. I'm thankful for pizza. I mean, go deep in that list, right? Like, just get all the way down. I'm thankful that someday the snow hypothetically will melt. God, praise Jesus. <laughs> Summer is coming in seven months. <clears throat> thank Him for it. And when you, thank, when you get thankful with God, it says that the peace 
of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We can't do this on our own. We need the power of Christ in us to guard our hearts and our minds. And a little farther on, Paul says this in Philippians. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. All those needs that you're so worried about, the Bible tells us that God will supply that need according to his riches. And guess what? God is rich because it's all his. And so no need that you have is too great for him. He will supply from his riches for his glory in Christ Jesus. And Peter tells us this in 1 Peter. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That God who is good, that God who is big, that God who is mighty and in control, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, he cares for you. He sees you in your weakness. He sees you in your anxious thoughts. And he cares for you. We have to lean into that and we have to trust it even when we don't feel it so that we can live for today and then we'll live for the next day, and we got to stop worrying about tomorrow. If we're divided, if we're not focused, we fail. So as I looked at these three verses, as I looked at this larger passage this week, and I thought about what extraordinary thing is Jesus calling us to in verses 19 through 34. And I think what he's calling us to is focus. An extraordinary focus that looks much different than how most of the world operates. A focus that looks to things in heaven instead of things on earth. A focus that keeps our eyes on Jesus Christ and says, God, it's you and you alone and I'll trust that you'll handle all the rest. And a focus that says, today, God, this step, this moment, I trust in you. Okay, today, God, this moment, this step, I trust in you. I'm not going to worry about 100 steps down the way because who knows what's going to happen in this life. I'm going to be focused. Like the writer of Hebrews says, this is a race, and it's not a short race, it's a marathon. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith, and cheer on your brothers and sisters in Christ because we can't do it alone. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you care for us. God, I thank you that you've shown us a better way to live because the way that I try to live on my own, it doesn't work. God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit and through my brothers and sisters in Christ, God, I pray for all of us that we will be able to have the kind of focus that Jesus is calling us to here in Matthew 6, God. Help us to live this kind of extraordinary life, God, through your power and for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to thank you again for being here today. Um, if you have any prayer requests, please write them down and drop them in the boxes in the back along with your offering. Uh, will you stand with me and I want to say a little benediction over you before we go. May the peace of the Lord Christ be with you wherever you should go. May he walk with you in your wanderings. May he be with you in your pain. May he watch over you day and day, and may you come back in these doors rejoicing because of his provision. In Jesus Christ's name we pray this. Amen. Go in peace.